Hello, and welcome to the history of Haiti. Since the fall of Boye, Haiti had gone through a revolving door of presidents. And when Faustin Salouk ascended to power in 1847, it did not appear to anyone that he was going to break this cycle, let alone how he was going to break it. More than most other Haitian leaders, to really understand Salouk, you have to understand his mentality. Salouk has, since his time, been portrayed similarly to Christophe, as a ridiculous idiot and a bloodthirsty tyrant. There's probably some level of truth to this. But, similarly to Christophe, some modern historians have kind of reevaluated Salouk to try to rehabilitate his image. For all his weaknesses, he was able to rule Haiti for an impressive amount of time, and an amount of time that no one, even himself, believed he would when he took office. The last four presidents had all lasted about a year in office, and there was no reason to doubt that Salouk would last any longer than them. Because of this, Salouk became terrified of the colored puppet masters who had put him in power, removing him from power. Another thing about Salouk was that he had a massive but incredibly fragile ego. So in the first few months of his rule, he was ridiculed by the elites, and all of this got under his skin. This all made it so that Salouk became obsessed with trying to hold on to power and trying to stabilize his regime. As for Salouk's political philosophy, Salouk was a pretty hardcore black supremacist. As I talked about with a coup, racial tensions kind of defined Haitian politics at the time, with the poor black against the rich coloreds. But as I also talked about with the coup, racial politics were kind of intermixed with class politics, and in that regard, they kind of took a back seat. A poor colored was black, and a rich black was colored. And Salouk, at least at the beginning of his reign, was heavily on the side of the blacks against the coloreds. He saw the coloreds as a massive threat to his authority, a threat which needed to be overcome. Along with being a black supremacist politically, Salouk was also the first president to practice voodoo, as opposed to the Catholicism of the elites. As I will probably talk about more in the future, this practice of voodoo affected his policy. There is even a probably apocryphal story I've seen from an otherwise relatively credible source from the time that a voodoo master told Salouk's wife that Boyer had buried a doll beneath the presidential palace that had left a curse that none of his successors would last more than 13 months in office. The story goes that Salouk began a project to excavate the palace gardens to search for the doll and end the curse unimagined curse which terrified him, although he found nothing. What I'm getting at here is with politics is that up until the final event that I'm going to talk about in this episode, Saluk was absolutely terrified of a colored coup against him. In late summer 1847, Saluk decided to leave the capital city to go on a tour of the north. He left the city of Port-au-Prince in the control of two men, the colored minister of the interior and then a, the commander of the presidential guard, a guy named Similian. Similian 
was a hardcore black supremacist who had a fiery hatred for the coloreds. His godson had been killed by Charles Herard for participating in a conspiracy against him, which in addition to making Suleiman into an advocate of race war, made him into an alcoholic. As I will talk about in the next episode, he began he was more extreme than Saluk in this regard. So, of course, he immediately began to quarrel with the colored who he was supposed to share power with in Port-au-Prince. Similian realized pretty quickly that he had the only armed forces in the capital. So a rumor began to spread that Similian was planning a massacre of the coloreds, which may have been true. Then another rumor spread that the coloreds were planning a revolt of their own, which also may have been true. With little access to information, both of these rumors became very widespread inside the population of the city. As people prepared for the showdown, it created a political crisis that Saluk would return from his tour of the north to. These rumors were at least partially fueled by what Similian was doing around this time. Because what we know for sure is that Similian was creating his own paramilitary force. This paramilitary group is called the Zinglings, which in Creole means a piece of a glass that has been shattered. It was a force composed of the underclasses, people with low-paying jobs or who were completely unemployed. These were the poor urban proletariat of 1840s Haiti. Their strength came from their hatred of the colored bourgeoisie. The Zinglings functioned as a combination street gang, political protest group, and secret police for Similian and Saluk. They were a precursor to Papa Doc Duvalier's Tonton Mascoutes, just as Saluk himself is kind of a precursor to Duvalier. These Zinglings would be the ones to break the colored control on power. So now everyone in Port-au-Prince believed that an insurrection was on the way. One colored who certainly believed this was a guy named Curtoy, a newspaper editor who published an inflammatory article attacking the Zinglings and Similian. When Saluk returned to the political crisis in Port-au-Prince, he ordered the color-dominated Senate to arrest Courtois to try him for breaking some kind of press law thing. Seeing that this was BS, but knowing that Saluk was pissed, the Senate sentenced Courtois to only a month imprisonment, whereas Saluk had wanted him dead. When Saluk found out, he was very angry, and so he had Courtois retried by a military council, and he was found guilty. Saluk then ordered a grave to be dug for Courtois. With this came serious plans for a colored insurrection. However, the French consul, who is the main source for most of this, managed to convince Saluk that executing him would cause riots in Port-au-Prince. Saluk, unlike most of the hardcore black supremacists, was very pro-French. So he agreed to change the sentence to exile, and this political crisis was averted. But this was only a prelude. After this, both sides were emboldened. The coloreds viewed it it as Saluk backing down to their strength, and Saluk saw it as the coloreds backing down to him. The crisis had been averted, 
but just months later, a new one would arise. Providing the backdrop for the next crisis were the Piquettes. Remember them? The peasant warriors now possessed by the spirit of a coup? One of the Piquette leaders, who is the guy who came up with the saying that a poor colored is black as the rich black is colored, was appointed into a position in Saluk's government. This emboldened the Piquettes, who once again remobilized near the city of Lakai. This time, the Piquettes gathered to demand the resignation of the commander of the South District. Saluk quickly agreed to this before it escalated. But then, in response, a colored revolt in favor of the district commander broke out in another part of the South Province. So, this action out in the countryside would be the backdrop for the events in Port-au-Prince. While the rural proletariat geared up for a fight, so too did the urban proletariat. Viewing Saluk as their leader within the government, and viewing everyone else in the government as colored bourgeoisie enemies, they now supported the reinstatement of the Constitution of 1816 without the modifications that Richet had included. They wanted Saluk to be president for life, and wanted an end to the cabinet that had been created after the fall of Boyer. So every Sunday, there would be a military parade in Port-au-Prince, and this would be followed by a protest held by the Zinglings in front of the National Palace. I am unsure how much of this relates to these protests, but the cabinet of Saluk, which had, he had inherited from Richet, collectively resigned around this time. Before I go further, I have to address sources. The event I am about to describe is an event which is not only open to interpretation, but it's also pretty unclear as to what actually happened. Almost every source feels pretty biased in some way. The sources from the time are mostly from the consulates, which of course contradict with each other. The main one I will be using comes primarily from the French consul, who hated Saluk. On April 16th, 1848, the fort that rules over Port-au-Prince fired cannon shots in a signal for people to come to the center of the city. I cannot figure out a reason. The Zinglings, as usual, met by the presidential palace, also there were the National Guard militia, as well as the Presidential Guards run by Simeleon. In front of the National Palace were thus gathered the civil and military authorities of the city, along with many others. Then, Seligny Arduin, who you may remember as the guy who overthrew Richet, coming full circle here, was a strong member of the colored elite, and he went to go meet with Saluk. What happened next is unclear. There was some disagreement between Saluk and Arduin that caused shots to be fired at him. According to the French consul, these shots missed, but then he was hit with sabers, giving him wounds that would soon kill him. The massacre had begun. While these gunshots were heard, someone shouted that someone had tried to kill Saluk. 
which was not true at all. Responding to this, the presidential guard fired into the crowd, killing 17 or 18 people. What happened next was something out of the French Revolution. Zingling stormed the palace and began to massacre the colored elites. Then, the violence spread to the rest of the city. A race riot broke out. Everywhere, gangs killed coloreds. A mob of coloreds formed to try to get onto a ship to leave, but they were shot at and ended up throwing themselves into the sea, where many drowned. Across the city, the bourgeoisie, as well as the professional classes, were also targeted. Some, like teachers, doctors, lawyers, and merchants, were killed. And, of course, old politicians were not spared. Some members of the original opposition were even killed. This massacre was carried out, not just by the Zinglings, but also by the Presidential Guard and black peasants who flocked to the city. In addition to killing, they also looted wherever they could. Many coloreds fled their homes to find refuge in foreign consulates, which had become crowded with refugees. Some were shot at as they tried to enter these consulates. Others could not escape the city because of the wandering gangs. Then the violence spread across the south. There, remnants of Aku's old army reformed to kill prominent colored elites in their cities. In Port-au-Prince, the violence lasted three days before Salouk ordered it to stop, which may have been at the prodding of a foreign consul. The death toll is unknown, but is probably in the hundreds. Thousands of other coloreds fled Haiti for Europe. But more than anything else, this massacre subdued the colored elite as a political force in Haiti for the next decade. The main controversy over this massacre is that of who actually did it. The obvious answer seems pretty obvious, that it was Salouk in an attempt to destroy the coloreds as a political force. This is what seems to have been believed at the time, but, and there is some evidence. For example, the presidential guard had loaded their guns prior to the hearing the struggle with Ardouin, according to the French consul. But more modern historians have kind of doubted that this was really Salouk's, like, master plan to kill all the coloreds. It seems like he had a pretty weak grip over the Zinglands, and a really weak grip over the countrymen who came into the city to kill the coloreds. Also, he's not very smart. Another theory is that this was just spontaneous, just decades of racial tension coming to a head. But why ever it happened, the effect was clear. Saluk was in control now. To everyone, it looked like Saluk had just masterminded his own coup against the coloreds. And of course, Saluk made it seem like that. In a speech he gave after, he said, quote, A new era arises for the Republic, freed from the various obstacles and heterogeneous elements which hindered its onward march. With the political right now crushed, Saluk could focus his attention on another group, the political left. And as we will see next episode, once both are subdued, Saluk, Saluk will be able to prove himself wrong about it being a new era for the Republic. It would be a new era for his empire.